This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. I am Chris, and today is Wednesday, April 5th, 2023. That means a couple of things. Uh, it means that 90 years ago today, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt made it illegal for U.S. citizens to own gold. Uh, it issued that infamous Executive Order 6102, requiring all U.S. citizens to turn their gold bullion into the nearest Federal Reserve Bank or a member bank. Uh, it is also Perhaps not uh, coincidentally, Satoshi Nakamoto's designated birthday, the birthday that he established for his pseudonym. Uh, And of course, it is Wednesday, which means it is DCA Wednesday, and it's time to grow our stack of Satoshis. Before we get into all that, though, real quick, a look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at a block height of 784,117. And Bitcoin is ringing in at a U.S. dollar price, a USD value of $28,110 per Bitcoin, or 3,557 sats per dollar. And that is almost exactly where we were last Wednesday. Uh, It's a couple hundred dollars less expensive than when we began the show, but almost exactly uh, where we were about 45 minutes later when we actually got around to doing our stack. Uh, and so we'll see where the price is by the time I get done with this episode. But currently, it's looking about the same as it was last Wednesday, which gets back to the thing I say every episode. And that is, if you zoom out, Bitcoin really isn't as volatile as it is, uh, as it appears. Uh, if you were staring at the charts uh, relentlessly, you saw Bitcoin all over the place. It was uh, almost 29,000 last night, and then it went down to 27,000 something and zigged and zagged. Um, but you know, if you zoom out, if you take the, if you take that, that longer perspective, the longer term, the longer horizon perspective, uh, Bitcoin is steadily up into the right, uh, and at least certainly a lot less volatile. All right. We are currently 55,883 blocks away from the next Bitcoin mining reward having, uh, and that looks now like it's going to be on April 20th. Nice for 20. For you Elon Musk fans out there, or those of you that are amused by that particular number, uh, that's a day earlier than the last uh, three episodes in a row. Of course, a month ago, it was looking like it was going to be April 20th, and it's been steadily marching sooner and sooner. Uh, Either way, it's putting us approximately one year away from the next Bitcoin halving. If you know anything about Bitcoin, if you've been following this show, you know that uh, that minor reward halving is what has Uh, at least theoretically kicked off every one of the previous bull runs, the previous cycles, the four-year cycles. If you've noticed, Bitcoin tends to set a new all-time high, a new record high approximately every four years. Then it has a big quote-unquote crash. Uh, That revolves around the halving. About six to 18 months after the halving, Bitcoin usually peaks out at its new all-time high. Then you get that 70 to 80% retracement, which uh, is usually still higher than whatever the previous all-time high had been. This time, uh, there were a lot of things that were different, and we did dip below that. Well, depending where you get your data, the 2020-17 all-time high was was less than 20,000. It was 18-ish, depending on what exchange you get your data from. 
And of course, Bitcoin dropped as low as like 15,800 this, this year, although just briefly. But in general, Bitcoin has stayed above the previous all-time high. Um, you know, and it was only at that $20,000, $18,000 range for a period of hours, not even a day. Uh, so the logic being Bitcoin will set a new all-time high six to 18 months after the halving, which will be six to 18 months after approximately sometime next April. So just like last that last bull run, uh, you know, we saw the new all-time high, uh, you know, in, in November, December timeframe, both, uh, both, uh, both cycles. You know, we saw um, Bitcoin set its 2017 high in December of 2017. And then, you know, we, we had a double top last time. So, uh, you know, after the 2020 halving, we had, uh, you know, the, the high in October of 2021 and then uh, in April of 2021. And then, uh, and then uh, again in, in November, uh, and that's when we set the all-time, all-time high of around 69,000. So in theory, November, December, sometime in the fall of 2020, we would be looking at, or 2024, we'd be looking at a new all-time high if, if that theory holds true. And of course, sometime after that, the next crypto bear market, the next Bitcoin winter. Uh, and of course, if Bitcoin does retrace by 80%, in theory, it wouldn't fall below 69,000 or so. Um, you know, afterwards, you know, the, the previous all-time high is usually the, the new floor. Uh, so let's say it breaks it a little bit like this time, you know, if it falls to 60,000 or even 55,000, uh, that's still a heck of a lot higher than it is right now. So, uh, you know, that, that up into the right trend uh, would continue as Bitcoin marches on. All right, for those of you following such things, Bitcoin's market cap is down just a tiny bit from last week, ringing it at a market cap of 543.6 billion. Uh, it was 549 billion last Wednesday, so about six, a little less than six billion difference, which is chump change when you're talking numbers over 500 billion. Of course, no, nowhere near that that one trillion dollar market cap that Bitcoin surpassed during the previous bear run. Uh, a correction, bull run, bear run, bull market, bull market, bull run when Bitcoin. Uh, when Bitcoin breaks, I don't, I didn't do the math, but somewhere in the fifty thousand dollar range, maybe it was fifty two thousand dollars ish, uh, we'll retake that that uh, one trillion dollar market cap, uh, and hopefully that'll happen. You know, right around the next halving, maybe before. Uh, you know, there's that forecast out there that Bitcoin will hit a million dollars by this June. Most people don't give that forecast a lot of credence. Uh, I think he has kind of issued that issued that prediction for publicity, right? You know, to get his name out there in the media. Um, but, you know, hey, anything's possible. None of us have a crystal ball. There are a lot of things that could go wrong between now and the end of June when that when his 90 day time frame runs out. One of the things a lot of people haven't really mentioned recently is that debt ceiling. Uh, there have been rumblings in the last couple of days. I think Janet Yellen had hinted at doing away with the debt limit completely. Uh, you know, every every year, it seems like the Congress has to raise the debt ceiling because, you know, they're going to spend more money than they're authorized to borrow. Uh, and they're talking about just flat out doing away with it. Uh, either way, uh, we've already technically passed the window for the debt limit, and then the Treasury is taking their quote unquote extraordinary measures to stretch things out till June or July of this year before the government has to start defaulting on its IOUs. Uh, and there's no word on. I haven't heard if that time frame has been sped up or not by all the money that that uh, that we've had to spend recently because of the way things are going with the economy. But either way, sometime between now and this summer. If they don't raise or do away with the debt limit, 
uh, there could be a, a U.S. default, and maybe that's how we achieve $1 million Bitcoin. It isn't because Bitcoin soared, but because the U.S. dollar collapses. And that's often been, you know, when people think, when are we going to have hyper-Bitcoinization? Uh, people say, well, you know, a rapid hyper-Bitcoinization would not be a good thing because, you know, it might look like you know, the end of days out there. It might look like something out of Mad Max if the uh, economy of the world has collapsed. So slow and steady is better than a, you know, slow and steady up and to the right over years is better for, you know, better for Bitcoin, better for the world than a, uh, than a sudden, a catastrophic hyper-Bitcoinization would be. Uh, but who knows? Uh, personally, I think the four-year cycle is intact. I think the government can kick the can down the road a lot longer than people give them credit for. Yes, all fiat currencies eventually go to zero. All fiat currencies fail. Uh, but the government has a lot of tricks up its sleeve still. And as they say, the U.S. currency is the best-looking horse at the glue factory. Uh, when we see currencies fail, it will probably be the last currency to fail uh, because it is currently the global reserve currency. Although that's changing, you know, with Saudi Arabia, you know, making these uh, agreements with uh, countries to sell oil and things other than the dollar, that's kind of the that's kind of the beginning of the end for the petrodollar. Uh, if other countries fall in line, and you know, and and this continues, uh, if there's no longer a need for other countries to soak up all the extra dollars that we print, uh, well, who knows? Uh, maybe the U.S. dollar won't be the last one to fail. None of that matters because we're stacking Bitcoin. That's our lifeboat. That's our escape hatch. That is our safety net. All right, where were we? We just went over Bitcoin's market cap, and that's pretty much exactly where it has been the last week or so. The last three weeks, it's been in the mid $500 billion range. If you value your wealth in shiny metal rocks, you know, Peter Schiff's out there taking victory laps because gold set a new all-time high, reached $2,000 an ounce. Uh, but, you know, yippee, right? So Bitcoin, gold's worth a couple dollars more than it was. You know, uh, what, uh, if you bought if you bought Bitcoin in 2007, if correction, you bought gold in 2007, uh, when gold is around $600 an ounce, maybe you've uh, tripled your money. But if you bought Bitcoin two years later, you know, you're up 29 million percent or 30 million percent. So uh, nonetheless, if you do value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, in shift bucks, It'll cost you 13.8 ounces of gold to just to buy just one Bitcoin. Uh, and if Bitcoin does its thing and Bitcoin retakes its previous all-time high, that is uh, that's more than double uh, what its current value is. And you know, gold would have to be $3,600 an ounce to double, you know, $4,000 an ounce to double where it is now. So, uh, you know, there's obviously. Gold has never had the upside, the, the asset appreciation that, that Bitcoin has displayed. Even if you don't go all the way back to when Bitcoin was first starting to trade or when Bitcoin was a dollar. You know, even if you just go back to 2017 when Bitcoin first breached $1,000 a coin, we're up 28x since 2017 and gold's up a couple hundred dollars. So I don't need to preach to the choir here. You're listening to a Bitcoin podcast, so you're probably a Bitcoin maxi or well on your way. Most certainly you're already orange pilled. But if you're not, uh, and you value your wealth in gold, just know that right now it'll cost you 13.8 ounces of gold, almost four one ounce, four, almost 14 one-ounce gold coins to purchase just one Bitcoin. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently score you 1,665 Papa John's pizzas. That is one Papa John's pizza for almost four years. Uh, that is a heck of a lot of pizza. 
that is, uh, you know, a lot of food security for just one Bitcoin. Certainly a lot more pizza than Laszlo purchased when he bought two, two Papa John's pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin on that very first Bitcoin pizza day. And uh, speaking of on-chain activities, speaking of Bitcoin transactions, the mempool is, well, it's, I, I, I don't use exactly want to use the word clogged because during the 2017 bull run, you know, there were hundreds, so 120, 150 transactions worth of, uh, of blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool. And we've been stuck in the 60s for about a month. Currently, there are 66 blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool. You know, a lot of those are low priority transactions, those ordinals, those inscriptions transactions, which most people blame for the blockchain bloat, uh, are not prioritized because they pay lower fees. So uh, nobody's having trouble getting their transactions on chain. Um, along those lines, if you do want to guarantee that your transaction is included in the next bit, you're in the next block, uh, the, the fee estimator I'm looking at recommends a fee of 27 sats per byte to guarantee that. That is three sats cheaper than last week. Last week it would have taken 30 sats per byte to guarantee your next in the next in, your transactions included in the next block. Uh, the number of satoshis per byte to guarantee that your transaction is processed within a day is exactly the same as last week at five sats per byte. What has changed is that um, now it's uh, looking like the number of sats to guarantee that your transaction is included. Uh, let me hold on. Let me let me pull this number back up because I think something I think I might have I might have misquoted. Uh, so last week, it would have uh, you could have still got. It, it, last week it was recommending five sats per byte to guarantee their transaction was was processed in a day, but they were saying that one sat per byte transactions would still process in a week, and that has changed. Now the estimator is saying that. Uh, it will take a minimum of two sat per byte, two sats per byte to guarantee your transactions processed in a week. So currently, it's looking like those one sat per byte transactions are a thing of the past. Who knows if they'll ever come back? Who knows if ordinals and descriptions will go away, uh, or if so many people will switch to Lightning that that uh, on chain is moot anyway? Uh, you, you you don't know what you don't know. We don't know what the future holds, and Bitcoin transactions are still really cheap uh, compared to how they used to be. Before SegWit, uh, for example, you know, during the during the well during the 2017 bull run, I I tried to make a transfer from my hardware wallet, uh, and it, it it was like a fifty dollar fee to get the transaction to process. That that was just insane, and that was at Bitcoin, you know, in the teens, say like fifteen or sixteen thousand. So that would be like a hundred dollar transaction equivalent right now, uh, and we're talking you know pennies to guarantee you're in the next block currently. So. Bitcoin is still cheap. And of course, most small transactions have been migrating to the Lightning Network. Uh, if you don't use Lightning uh, right now, you certainly will in the future. It's my firm belief that when people think of Bitcoin, they're not even going to think of on-chain. They're not going to think of Bitcoin Core. They're just going to think that using Lightning is using Bitcoin uh, in, in the not very distant future at all. And of course, you know, governments, uh, federal, you know, uh, federal Reserve Banks, Huge corporations moving their treasuries around will we'll do so on chain, but you and I uh, won't even be worried about that. That transaction history, the 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 transaction, the metric, the statistic that you know I like to follow, Bitcoin's twenty four hour transaction rate is absolutely screaming. Uh, it is last week 
we were looking at an average of 3.9 transactions per second, and that is up to 3.95 transactions per second this week. And uh, as you know, I like to see anything above pi 3.14. Anytime you see above 3.15 transactions per second, Bitcoin price is usually doing really well. Um, that isn't uh, that isn't any kind of official TA or any metric that I've heard anyone else endorse. But in the almost two years we've been doing this show, every time the on-chain transaction volume has been over 3.15 transactions per second, Bitcoin's price has been up. And it is, not necessarily week over week, but uh, it's been up and to the right in general. It's certainly not crashing. All right. Um, the last statistic I want to talk about is that mining difficulty adjustment that we've, uh, we mentioned a little while ago. As you know, Bitcoin's mining difficulty is adjusted every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks. Currently, we're less than a day away from Bitcoin's next mining difficulty adjustment. We're 107 blocks away, so a little less than a day. That's going to be tomorrow, April 4th. Uh, and currently, that's looking like it's going to be an increase of anywhere between 1.3 and 2.14%. And that is because blocks are currently averaging 9 minutes and 52 seconds. Bitcoin was written, the code was written for uh, it to target an average of 10-minute block times. And anytime the average of 2016 blocks is faster than 10 minutes, uh, the difficulty to mine a new block goes up. If it's longer than 10 minutes, the difficulty goes down. Currently, blocks are averaging 9 minutes and 52 seconds, so we're going to have a modest increase in mining difficulty. But that isn't too shabby, considering what a couple weeks ago we had a 76 percent difficulty increase a couple weeks before that a 10 percent difficulty increase and the mining network is at all-time record high hash rate the number of miners coming online continues to grow although maybe it's plateauing out at the moment uh, because you know well of course when the when the when the mining network is as huge as it is even a one percent increase in the number of miners i mean there's there are mining farms out there with hundreds of thousands of asics in just one mining farm so even if that mining farm were to just increase their capacity by 1%, you know, 1% of a, of, you know, of 100 ASICs would be one new ASIC, 1,000 would be 10 new ASICs, 100,000 would be 100 new ASICs. So we're talking thousands and thousands of new ASICs that have been plugged in or upgraded to just ones that are more efficient and ones that are faster. Maybe we're just seeing the old S, Antminer S9s finally getting retired. Who knows? What I do know is that, um, that that Bitcoin is doing exactly what it's programmed to do, and uh, it's going to increase difficulty around one to two percent to target those average ten-minute block times. TikTok next block. All right, real quick, thanks for those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as the Fountain app. Uh, we do not currently have any boosts to read, unless one of you squeaked a boostgram in right after I started recording or as I was setting up to record, because currently we don't have any boosts to read this week. Uh, but thanks to those of you who have boosted us in the past and those of you who are considering streaming us sats or boosting us as I speak. Uh, but most importantly, uh, Podcasting 2.0 is just a better way to listen to your podcasts. Geographically, our audience distribution has not changed at all. It is exactly the same thing as it was last week, exactly the same for the third week in a row. 51% of you are listening from here in the United States. 13% of you are listening from Argentina. So, hola, buenas noches to you in Argentina. 7% of you are listening from Deutschland, from Germany. Guten Abend, Deutschlanders. 3% uh, of you are listening from Luxembourg. So, guten Abend as well. Luxembourg, you speak more than just German, but I don't. So, sorry. 
3% of you listening from Colombia. So hola amigos in Colombia. 2% of you listening from Canada. Hello Canadians. Hello our 51st state we like to jokingly call you. Hello in the great white north. Two of you, 2% of you are listening from Spain. Hola to those of you in Spain. 2% in Venezuela. Hola amigos in Venezuela. 1% of you are listening from Sweden. And 1% of you are listening to us from the United Kingdom. Uh, so that's cool to know that we have an international audience out there. So hello, hola, guten Abend, etc. To all of you, if I missed your language, I apologize. Hey, send me a shout out. Send me a, a DM on Twitter. Send me an email or a boost letting me know what language you speak. And I will make it my uh, duty to learn to say hello to you in that language, providing it's not something that I'm just incapable of comprehending, like Klingon. And I could probably even pull off Klingon, although I don't know Klingon. Sorry. All right. So the news. Uh, the biggest news every week recently has always seemed to have been the price, and the price is almost exactly where it was last week. I think I mentioned already that on April 1st, Elon Musk changed the Twitter logo to uh, from the bird to the Doge logo, and I pulled up Twitter on, uh, well, on mobile it didn't change, but if you look at it on a, on a, on a, on a computer, on a desktop or a laptop, uh, you'll see the Doge in the, in the upper left-hand corner, and I pulled Twitter up a little while ago, right before I started recording and the Doge was still popping up. Uh, and so apparently that pumped the price of Dogecoin by like two cents, which is a lot considering we're talking, it was only trading for like five cents. And this isn't an altcoin, this isn't an, an S-coin show, but Elon is really playing dangerously with the whole market manipulation thing. Is he still already in trouble for pumping Dogecoin once before? Uh, he needs to be careful. I, I know he thinks it's funny uh, and it is kind of funny. Uh, you know, Elon's a troll, and I guess freedom of speech, you have the right to be a troll, right? But um, every time he does that, all those no-coiners out there, all those crypto enthusiasts, all those S-coiners, uh, for some weird reason, think that that, uh, that their coin is going to be the next Bitcoin. And Dogecoin, you know, if you know anything about Dogecoin, you know it was created as a joke, right? It was created to mock crypto. It was created with an infinitely expanding supply to purposely be worthless. And why anyone would pick that coin, other than the fact it's just like the you know the smooth brain army doing it for fun, uh, just as a joke, just for just for just for giggles. Um, but there's people out there that see that saw the Doge logo and thought, oh, you know, Elon's going to integrate Doge into Twitter, and that's going to pump the value of Twitter. Even if he does integrate Doge into Twitter, the coin is going to go. It's designed to go to zero. So stay away from shit coins, guys. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money, but stay away from shitcoins. Also, the ultimate shitcoin out there, Elizabeth Warren, and this guess this is almost a week ago that this happened. It was like the day after the last Bitcoin bulletin. So you've probably already seen her campaign ad where she was touting, bragging, she's, quote, building an anti-crypto army. Uh, you know, I have mixed thoughts on this because Bitcoin is for everybody, right? There's people on the left, people on the right. Uh, that are in that are into Bitcoin, that are Bitcoin maximalists. But increasingly in the United States, politicians are lining up. You know, they're taking sides. They're taking either the pro-Bitcoin or the anti-Bitcoin position. And there's like nobody that's taking a, a neutral position. I mean, they're the whole let's give them a let's give Bitcoin and crypto a sandbox. Let's not hamper development. Let's let it let's let it let's see what happens and then tailor regulation down the road when whatever emerges emerges it seems to be evaporating. Uh, and 
it's lining up with more and more Democrats, members of the Democratic Party, ganging up on Bitcoin. This is going to backfire on them because I know a lot of people that consider themselves Democrats or consider themselves leftists that are into Bitcoin. And I always thought that Bitcoin is inherently a libertarian concept. It was, it, I have a hard time squaring being a socialist or being a big government proponent and Bitcoin because Bitcoin takes away government's power, right? So I have a hard time squaring that circle. But uh, nonetheless, there are, I know plenty of people that consider themselves on the left or Democrats that are into Bitcoin. And this is alienating them. I know people that, you know, like, for example, Ted Cruz has come out and endorsed Bitcoin and Marco Rubio is pro-Bitcoin. And I know people that absolutely cannot stand Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio. You know, they hate him with a passion. Um, you know, they hate him as much as the, the never Trumpers hate Donald Trump. It's just visceral. They're, they will never like Ted Cruz. And the fact that he's pro-Bitcoin and the fact he seems to understand Bitcoin, he seems to get it if you listen to what he has to say. You know, maybe it's BS. Maybe he's just saying what he thinks he needs to say to get elected in Texas. Who knows? But the point being, people like Ted Cruz are lining up on the side of Bitcoin and people like Elizabeth Warren are squarely lining up against Bitcoin. And eventually that's going to alienate some of their base, especially, you know, Democrats traditionally rely on the youth vote, right? The young vote, the tech vote, the Silicon Valley vote uh, that tends to swing, that tends to break for the Democrats in elections here in the United States. And they're alienating some of it. And they don't need to alienate all of it. They just need to alienate a little bit of the vote. If one or two percent of the Silicon Valley tech types start saying, I'm not going to vote for you if you try and outlaw Bitcoin, or if you try and crush Bitcoin, even if they just stay home and don't vote for the Republican, that's enough to swing an election. You know, we see elections decided by a couple thousand voters in Florida or Ohio or wherever, you know wherever the recount is going to be in the next in the next major election, it might come down to a thousand votes and it might come down to a thousand Bitcoiners who decided not to vote or not to vote for a specific candidate because their stance on Bitcoin. So tread lightly, Liz. That's all I have to say. Um, personally, I think they ought to just stay out of it, but you know, politicians like to grandstand. So politicians are going to politic, right? They say that, uh, Politics is derived from the Latin word poly, meaning the many, and ticks, meaning blood-sucking insects. Uh, and that's certainly the case with Elizabeth Warren. On the positive news, yet another, uh, yet another, yet another bank has come out, yet another industry has come out in favor of Bitcoin. The headline uh, on Coindesk today being Swiss government-owned bank post-finance to offer crypto to, to customers. Post-finance will begin offering its 2.5 million customers access to buy store and sell Bitcoin and Ether thanks to a partnership with Switzerland's Signum Bank. So while in the United States we're cracking down on Bitcoin, other countries are getting with the program. Switzerland is making it possible for you to buy and sell and store. Now, I, I would, I have a problem with storing your Bitcoin on a bank, but normies are going to keep their money in the bank. So I, you know, encourage your friends and family to take custody, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And just know, though, that that a certain percent of the normies are always going to keep their money in the bank, whether it's Bitcoin or dollars or or shiny yellow rocks. You know, there's a lot of gold bugs out there that own paper gold. They don't actually own gold. They've never held gold in their hands. Uh, they just have a certificate for gold that's in a bank, a bank vault somewhere. So not your keys, not your coins. But um, this is the sort of adoption that that is going to help onboard more people. And, you know, even if the normies are going to store their, you know, their, their Bitcoin in a bank, at least it's helping Bitcoin adoption. And I have found that even if you are 
you know, a newbie, uh, you're, you bought your first coin, you're storing on an exchange, you're storing it at a bank. Uh, your journey down the rabbit hole is just beginning. So most people, once they buy Bitcoin, they you, you have an inherent interest in it. So you you learn more, you read more, you do that thousand hours of research, oftentimes after you've made your first purchase. And that's when, you know, you come to understand that you need to take custody and you start learning about hardware wallets. Maybe you buy a ledger or a treasure uh, and that's and you, and you take custody of your own Bitcoin, you put it in your own cold, cold storage. And then you go further down the rabbit hole and you say, well, that's not even good enough. And you do multi-sig or you upgrade to a cold card or, or whatever. My point being, everybody's journey starts somewhere. And even if your journey starts with buying a Bitcoin and keeping it on, 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 an, on an account with uh, Post Finance in Switzerland, some of those people are going to take custody their Bitcoin eventually. And even if they don't, uh, as long as that's real Bitcoin and you don't have an FTX type Ponzi going on, uh, that's going to increase adoption and that's going to increase the price of Bitcoin. Because as you know, there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin, which works out to somewhere around 250,000 Satoshis per person in the world, uh, which is why, you know, right now, you know, if you own one Bitcoin, that's only 28,000 US dollars of the Bitcoin. But one day, just 250,000 Satoshis will be the equivalent to an average person's share of the total global wealth. So get your Bitcoin, get it off of an exchange, but it's cool to see adoption. And speaking of adoption, Michael Saylor is stacking. Uh, you know, word came out that he had added uh, previously in the last, what, last quarter, we found out that he had purchased more Bitcoin at like an average purchase price at $23,000 or something along those lines. But the headlines today, and this one from Market Insider on MSN says, Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy adds to its Bitcoin trove, purchasing 1,045 coins for 24 million. The business software maker now holds 140,000 Bitcoin, and the value of that stash was nearly $4 billion, with Bitcoin trading above $28,000. It's amazing to think what, um, you know, what the world's going to look like when the world's richest man is Michael Saylor, when the most powerful company in the world is MicroStrategy. Um, he gets it. Hopefully you're adding to your stack. 140,000 Bitcoin is a lot of corn. You know, I never have uh, any dreams of holding that many coin. Uh, hopefully most of you out there at least have the dreams or the means to become a whole coiner. Uh, because, like I said, even 250,000 sats one day is going to be a significant chunk of change, in my humble opinion. All right, so on Twitter the other day, I saw an argument take place and somebody had posted something about Bitcoin and then the naysayer came on in the comments and said that, you know, Bitcoin uh, will not be adopted because it uh, takes 10 minutes, 20, he said, I think it said 20 minutes to, to make your transaction and it's going to cost you $5 to do it. And so somebody else replied with a, a snippet of them buying a cup of coffee and the Lightning Network is instant and basically free. And their argument to that was, yeah, well, uh, try try teaching someone over 40 how to do that. Bitcoin basically can't succeed because nobody over 40 can grok the tech. Uh, I want to remind you that Adam Beck, one of the one of the, the the people cited in the white paper, one of the people often thought to possibly be Satoshi Nakamoto, is 52 years old. Al Finney would be 58 years old had he not died of of ALS. Uh, Bitcoin was written not by boomers but by Gen Xers. Um, to some extent, you know, yeah, the older people always have a hard time adapting to new tech, but two things happen. You know, a few years ago, your grandma would never have had an iPhone or a, or a, or a Galaxy, an Android phone or whatever. They probably had an old AARP flip phone with huge buttons and a giant screen, right? 
But now your grandma probably has an iPhone or probably has a, you know, an Android. Eventually it just gets adopted. Uh, your grandma probably has email. Maybe she doesn't use Twitter, but but sooner or later, as tech becomes mainstream, even the old bogeys, even the boomers start adopting it. But also, you know, when any new technology comes out, it's always the young that adopt it first. There weren't 80 and 90 year olds clamoring to climb onto a flying machine and learn to fly the right flyer when it first came out. But, you know, everyone travels now, right? Uh, the kids that are born today will never know a world where Bitcoin didn't exist. You know, they say that, you know, and it's morbid to think of, but that technology advances or science advances one funeral at a time. So it's a stupid argument that nobody over 40 can grok the tech because I know a lot of people over 40, the average listener to this podcast is over 40. Our demographics, I think, are like 40 to 55 for our average listener uh, to this podcast. And I know a lot of the OGs. I know a lot of OG hackers, a lot of OG programmers, a lot of the OGs that are significantly over 40. And not only can they grok the tech, dude, they wrote the tech. So uh, it's a stupid argument. Along those lines, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, we obviously don't know who Satoshi is, but uh, today is Satoshi Nakamoto's birthday. Satoshi chose April 5th, 1975 for his birthday, which means uh, he's over 40 as well, right? And we don't know how old he is, but he probably didn't choose a birthday that was significantly older than he really was. Uh, and obviously, it, it's, a, it's probably a BS birthday because he's a pseudonym, right? But uh, Satoshi chose the birthday April 5th, 1975. And he used that when he registered the pseudonym with the P2P Foundation. So that's why that's considered to be his birthday. But the reason he picked April 5th was because that's also the anniversary of that Executive Order 6102, where the United States made it illegal to hold gold. That executive order was signed by Franklin, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, April 5th, 1933, 90 years ago today. And that executive order said that all persons are required to deliver on or before May 1st, 1993, all gold coin, bullion, and gold certificates now owned by them to a Federal Reserve Bank branch or agency or to any member bank of the Federal Reserve System. And it carried a criminal penalty for violation of the executive order of a $10,000 fine, which was a ton of money in 1933, more than a house. So we're talking, you know, a million dollar fine equivalent now, or 10 years in prison or both as provided in section nine of the order. So 90 years ago today, the United States government seized America's gold, made it illegal for you to hold gold. And why did they do it? They did it because they wanted to devalue the dollar. At the time, the dollar was, uh, backed by gold. We were on the gold standard. So they seized gold when it was worth something around $23 an ounce. And as soon as they had all the gold seized, the next thing they did was revalue the US dollar at with a gold basis, uh, a base gold price of I think it was $35 an ounce. So not quite doubling um, or cutting and not quite having the value of the US dollar, but debasing the snot out of the US dollar. And for those of you who laugh at the United States for doing that, this wasn't necessarily unique to the United States. Other countries uh, made it illegal to own gold as well. But beyond just making it illegal to own gold, uh, you know, we were on a gold standard. So seizing gold was a form of uh, currency controls, of capital controls to keep you, they were going to change the value of gold relative to the US dollar, making your US dollars worthless. But if you held gold, you know, one ounce of gold was still going to buy what one ounce of gold was going to buy. It would just now take twice as many US dollars. So to keep people, from bypassing that to keep, to keep people from having an escape hatch, a lifeboat, so to speak, sound familiar? 
they confiscated their gold. But that's no different than any other capital control uh, legislation or, or laws that were passed in places like Argentina, Venezuela, China, etc. You know, Lebanon, places where they they make it illegal to own like U.S. dollars, for example, because people were fleeing to the U.S. dollar because it was infinitely more stable than their local currency. And believe it or not, for those of you who think that well that was then and there's no way they could do that because that's completely unconstitutional, blah blah blah. Be informed that the Supreme Court of the United States did, in fact, uphold this as constitutional. Uh, they upheld every seizure, by the way, and this law remained in effect until it was repealed by President Gerald Ford in 1974, and it was finally legal for American citizens to own gold. Uh, there were four uh, Supreme Court justices who dissented. They were labeled the four horsemen by the press, as in the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as in they wanted to destroy the world, right? They're going to end the world. They're going to bring on the end of days, uh, revelations, they're being biblical, like the destruction of the world, because these senators were, or these justices were against basically the New Deal. If you know anything about history, you know that the New Deal and, and everything basically FDR did, took what could have been just a simple recession and drug it out for a decade. Uh, and the United States in many ways is still suffering from the uh, expansion of government, the erosion of freedoms, and the economic consequences of the New Deal. All right, and just to put a nightcap on that, Plan B had an interesting tweet just an hour or so ago where he said, to be crystal clear, 1933, illegal to own gold, 2023, illegal to own cash. Bitcoin is the best alternative. You might think that's far-fetched, but a CBDC is coming. And this has been happening, you know, the move away from cash has been happening for most of my life. You know, every once in a while they come up with the whole, we need to get rid of the penny thing or we need to get rid of the penny and the nickel thing, and they're trying to migrate us away from cash. But there are countries that are flat on moving away from cash completely. I believe Australia is in the process of just flat out banning cash and making all transactions electronic. Uh, and when they do, of course, uh, you'll have no choice but to use the CBDC or Bitcoin. As Christine Lagarde said, it is your escape hatch. And that's why she wants to close the escape hatch. All right. I think there's something else I wanted to, to uh, yammer on about, but I have already ranted uh, enough, I think, and uh, it's time to get down to why we're here, uh, and that is to do our DCA stack, because today is DCA Wednesday, after all, right? And for those of you who don't know what DCA is, if you've never watched this podcast before, you never listened to this podcast before, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this will be our 89th stack. We started stacking every Wednesday back on July 28th, 2021, so not quite two years ago. So our regular interval we chose is weekly. We chose weekly on Wednesdays. You know, you do you. Uh, you could choose whatever interval you want. Some people choose daily. Some people DCA hourly. Uh, most people that DCA in any investment do so on their payday. So if you get paid bi-weekly, you know, your paychecks every two weeks, maybe every two weeks is your DCA investment schedule. But that's your regular interval. And then the equal portion, we chose $20. And the reason we chose $20 is because I wanted to show two things. You're not too late. You know, even investing as little as $20 uh, will eventually build up a respectable stack of Satoshis. Uh, and along those lines, if you are in a place where $20 is a lot of money, you're not left out. You have the opportunity to build a sizable stack of sats before hyper-Bitcoinization, even if all you can come up is, with is $20 a week. 
So you do you, pick your price, pick your, pick your equal portion, pick your regular interval, uh, and that is what PCA is. Uh, and by stacking those 88 times, uh, we've managed to build a stack of 6,107,419 sats. Uh, we did that just $20 at a time. Um, and we're going to grow that stack again today. And to do so, we're going to use the handy dandy Cash App. I've been using Cash App for this entire podcast. And the reason I use Cash App, I'm hearing a really weird, not a reverb. Hopefully, um, every time I talk, I th- it must be the noise canceling on this soundboard. Every time I talk, I, I hear like a hiss and then it goes away when I, when I pause. Hopefully you're not hearing it because I'm using the denoise setting on the soundboard instead of uh, using Adobe to, to clean the audio up later, which is stupid. Uh, I should be recording dirty audio and, and cleaning it up in Adobe because it's a lot harder to clean it up uh, once you have applied denoise to it on the soundboard. And the reason why is because, for example, that sound, I only hear it when I'm talking. And when I stop, it goes away. So one of the ways to clean up audio in Adobe is you take a, a, a place where there's a pause. And if there's like a, a noise in the background and you're not talking, you sample that noise and then you just tell it to remove that frequency from the entire, the entire rip. Uh, and you can't do that if that noise is only occurring when I'm talking because it's, it's almost impossible to isolate. Anyway, hopefully the audio quality doesn't suck. If it does, I will have learned a valuable lesson and I will do things different next week. All right. So as I mentioned, I'm going to stack using the Cash App. There are multiple reasons for that, but not the least of which is that Cash App will let me uh, send money to my Cash App account instantly, purchase Bitcoin with it instantly, and transfer it to my hardware wallet instantly. They're not necessarily the cheapest service out there. They charge about two and a quarter percent fee. Um, I've tried a couple other uh, exchanges and apps. Uh, and they're not the they're not the cheapest, they're not the most expensive. But when you're making a twenty dollar purchase, it it really doesn't matter. We're going to spend forty five cents in fees to make this purchase. And if you were using a, a you know a, a an exchange that Chase charges you a half a percent or a tenth of a percent, which is significantly less in fees, they're going to charge you a mining fee to send the Bitcoin to your hardware wallet, and that might be a dollar. So it'll certainly be the forty five cents or enough of the forty five cents to make it the difference moot. So. We're going to use Cash App, but again, you, as always, you do you. Uh, pick an app or an exchange that fits your needs. Uh, if you choose to use Cash App, however, there is a referral code in the show notes. And if you click on that uh, referral code when you sign up, you'll get five bucks free for uh, for doing so. And you'll be tipping the podcast five bucks as well. So thank you in advance if you do that. Uh, there are other referral codes in there. Like I think we have a referral code for uh, Strike and a referral code for the Fold app as well so if you are considering using any of those services uh, please use the referral code in the show notes and you'll get something free for doing so i think you'll get 10 bucks if you use the referral code for strike and you'll get twenty thousand free sats if you sign up with fold uh, with the referral with our referral link all right so i've added the 20 bucks tapping by bitcoin tapping confirm and boom just like that we purchased another sixty nine thousand four hundred and ninety six satoshis and that is going to bring our stack up to 6,176,915 sets. Uh, and perhaps more importantly, that actually decreased our average purchase price a tiny bit. Last week was the first time in a long, long time that the purchase actually increased our average cost basis. Last week, it increased our average purchase price by $2.38. 
This week, it knocked it down by 44 cents, so that's cool. In addition to growing the size of the stack, we reduced our average purchase price, which basically really only matters if you're in a country where you have to pay capital gains tax, uh, like the United States. So right now, for example, we've purchased at an average purchase price of $28,816.97. So any time Bitcoin is above that, we are in the profit. So let's say we sold a Bitcoin, we sold our Bitcoin at a at a, at a price of thirty thousand uh, dollars, we'd have about a one thousand two hundred dollar capital gain, and that and that's why that matters. Most importantly, uh, Bitcoin is still cheap. We're still getting sixty nine thousand sats, almost seventy thousand sats for our purchase. You know, if you harken all the way back to when Bitcoin was at its all time high, um, well, the most we, the most expensive we purchased Bitcoin for was in October of twenty twenty one. We bought it $65,969, so not quite $69,000, uh, but pretty darn close. And that only got us 29,000 sats. So uh, we got almost 70,000 sats today. And as long as Bitcoin stays on sale, all that should matter to you is the size of your stack and the amount of sats you're getting for each cuck buck you convert. And that's going to start dwindling, especially when we get to that halving in about a year. Uh, you're going to see the, the number of sats that you score. Uh, well, when Bitcoin retakes its all-time high, you're only going to get 29,000 sats for your $20 investment. And then when Bitcoin, uh, you know, Bitcoin hits 100,000, maybe 25,000 sats, and it's going to go down from there forever, forever, Laura, forever. All right. Well, that's all I really wanted to talk about. I did have a pet peeve I wanted to get into, and I'm going to do an entire episode reviewing the Fold card and the Fold app because uh, you hear a lot of podcasters talk about the Fold card. Uh, it's basically like Cash App, but it's it, you, instead of being able to send money around to people, you get a debit card. You loan that debit card, load that debit card up, and you use it for your daily expenses, and and you get Bitcoin back anywhere between one percent or whatever. They've got a little spinny wheel, and uh, and sometimes you don't get any sats back. You get whatever the reward are. Sometimes you get like three percent back. And I've been playing around with it, and I've gotten a decent number of sats back uh, for spending just a couple hundred dollars. I also tried them out for a Bitcoin purchase. I, don't, I bought like sixty or eighty dollars of the Bitcoin on it, uh, and I went to transfer it to my hardware wallet on Thursday, so last Thursday, almost a week ago, and it said pending. Even last night, I, and I had sent a, an, an email to their tech support, uh, and thinking maybe it was just hung up. There was a problem with my transaction, right? And wrong. I was told that basically they're just so busy. Uh, what the what the email said effectively is that they have currently they have to manually approve all transfers. So. Uh, mine finally did go through uh, this afternoon, like one o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. So just shy of a week to transfer my Bitcoin, which is completely unacceptable. Uh, they did say they're in the process of developing a new wallet. They didn't say when they're going to launch that. So I will reserve judgment for Fold. We'll call this a one-off for right now. But um, if you are using Fold for your daily purchases to stack sats, uh, be advised it might take you a week or so to get those sats to an exchange. So to get those hats to your off off of their custody out of out of an exchange to your hardware wallet uh, so if you have sats you've been saving on the fold app move them off now because you know i have no reason to think anything will happen to fold but they do use prime trust to handle their bitcoin transactions and there's been some stuff about prime trust in the news recently so uh, even with the fold app which is something i'm still using something i'm i'm testing out something i'm not not recommending i'm not poo-pooing fold card uh, any service, get your sats off, including Fold. If you're at the minimum withdrawal threshold, get them off Fold because if something happens to Prime Trust, if something happens to Fold, it could take a week 
uh, to transfer those sats. So get your sats off any exchange. I'm not picking on Fold. Uh, I just have an anecdote because I just used Fold. Uh, well, I used it a week ago, but I just now got my sats. All right, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about this week. I do want to remind you to please follow us on Twitter. The podcast Twitter account is at BTC Bulletin Pod. Uh, you know, the more people that follow us, the more people will see it in their feeds, the more uh, people will hopefully help Orange Pill, the more people will be exposed to this podcast. Uh, if you don't use Twitter and you want to reach out to us, you can email me. Our email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Again, that's bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. But please reach out. Give us your opinion. Let us know what you like about the podcast. Let us know what you don't like about the podcast. Uh, do you like this new set? If you're watching the video version of the podcast, you know, previous to, well, last week was the first time I used this new set. Previously, I had been, you know, recording in front of a green screen and just putting a nice photo from someplace I'd been or whatever up as the background. So I'd like feedback. Do you like this better or would you rather see a neat, pretty picture behind me or should I mix it up? Uh, let me know on Twitter or let me know by sending me an email. Again, we're at BTC Bulletin Pod or Bitcoin Bullet at ProtonMail.com. Of course, if you're listening on Fountain, you can always send us a boost, right? If you like sending us a tip, uh, since the boost is a lightning um, boost, uh, it comes with a message. And of course, as tradition, we will read that message on the following episode of the Bitcoin Bullet Podcast. If you do, unless you tell us, uh, please don't read this message. But any boostergram is appended uh, to the show notes on Fountain, so or, uh, it pinned to the show on Fountain, so they're all public anyway. All right. With that said, thank you for listening. If you are listening on Spotify, you know, there is a video version of this podcast available. I started migrating all our videos to YouTube. We barely have any subscribers on YouTube because I hadn't really been using it. But one of my friends said he couldn't see the video on Spotify because he doesn't have a paid Spotify account. Uh, I don't have a paid Spotify account. I can see it, but I have a free Spotify account. So maybe that's it. But either way, if you want to watch the video, uh, you can do so on either Spotify or our YouTube. And the uh, links to those are in the show notes as well. But again, don't forget to join us this Wednesday, this Wednesday, next Wednesday, and every Wednesday while we grow our stack and continue to test out the dollar, high co the dollar cost averaging hypothesis. But until then, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>